The world has had their eyes pegged to the television since last night. The US, the so-called beacon of democracy and freedom around the world, has just suffered its very own diet coup attempt. Today I'm joined by my two brilliant co-hosts Samuel Moore and Rachel Duffy to unpack the events of yesterday and discuss a little bit more about the causes of them and what their implications are. Before we get into that, as always, great if you guys could subscribe, like, share our videos because it really helps us out and helps us grow. So I think the first thing when I'm packing this whole situation is what were, you know, these Congress uh, men and women and Mike Pence doing at the Capitol building yesterday? So essentially what they're doing is they're confirming Joe Biden and Kamala Harris's presidency and vice presidency um, by kind of rallying up uh, or counting up all the kind of electoral uh, college votes. Right. Um, during uh, this kind of process of confirmation, Trump um, Trump supporters basically entered the Capitol building and took it under siege. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have a better word to describe it, but, you know, that's how that's essentially what it was. Um, some of them armed and, you know, sadly, uh, Congress had to be evacuated from this whole process uh, and t taken to a safe location. And eventually, you know, these protests were pushed back. Um, but, you know, when all things were done, four people passed away from this event. Um, and yeah, it just was a very surreal and crazy night. We'll definitely have images up on screen to be showing you kind of what, what went down, really. Um, so one of the obvious short-term causes of this whole situation, you know, I would say is the Georgia Senate runoff races, which were happening in the U.S. So these are really important because, you know, if you control the Senate, um, the Senate basically controlling the Senate gives you a lot of uh, power. Um, if you're if you control the House, Senate and presidency, then you can really try pass and push legislation which you want. And this has to do with essentially the different roles of the House of Representatives and the Senate. So uh, I think that's probably a good place to start when discussing the kind of like what the what differences between them are is important to like highlight before we kind of start to discuss the implications of all these um, protesting and riots and stuff like that. So the House of Representatives essentially make up legislation um, and try pass amendments and things to exist to existing legislations and stuff like that. And the Senate has a lot of functions, but on a day to day basis, its primary function, I would say, is to essentially decide when things can be put up uh, to vote for the Senate. And, um, you know, legislation obviously passes when you have a majority of the House of Representatives voting for legislation and, you know, the Senate, of course, as well. So yeah, I mean, that's sort of the background of these uh, kind of, you know, what background in terms of how the legislation, legislative branch of government set up. So uh, how about the Georgia runoff races? So first of all, it's important to also discuss, you know, why uh, there was a Georgia uh, runoff race, because you would expect this to essentially have passed uh, with the November elections. But during the November election, uh, neither candidates uh, who were going up for kind of the Senate races got a majority um, of over 50%. So that's essentially why they had to uh, redo these elections and things like that. Uh, so yeah, I guess I'll bring in, you know, uh, Samuel and Rachel to discuss their, uh, their thoughts and, and things like that on the matter. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I'm sure we're going to go into it a bit later. But yeah, just the scenes yesterday were just, yeah, as you said, it was just surreal, you know, and like just seeing the photos of, you know, them like, oh, first of all, the police just letting them into the Capitol building with hardly no resistance. Um, also, just like the security within the building, like barricading doors, pointing guns at, at, at the at the insurgents. Uh, it's just like, yeah, it's just a crazy, surreal experience. And I mean, as you mentioned later, I think it's been a long time coming in. Yeah, and it's just a, I think we'll see it more often um, throughout Western liberal democracies. But yeah, this this is just, just a, it's just a summation of everything that's happened over decades. But yeah, going back to Georgia, I think, yeah, I mean, obviously, I think the uh, Democrats win in both of the remaining seats. Um, I think for Senate, I think it's, um, I think it's very good. I mean, it's obviously great for them. Um, because obviously, yeah, as you said, they have the majority in this. Oh, they're actually, they're actually 50-50 in the Senate and Kamala Harris gets the final say. So I think, I mean, that's, that would generally favor Democrats. So yeah, so basically they have the Senate and House majority and this should um, allow them to pass legislation in a more easier manner um, in comparison to having Mitch McConnell block in everything that comes his way. 
So yeah, I think it's great news, but also I think this is an opportunity, you know, especially for the left to to organize and you know start pushing for for popular um, legislation that, especially around healthcare, for example, which has majority support, stuff around the environment, you know, worker protection, uh, uh, unions, you know, giving more power to unions, for example. And I think this, yeah, this is like this opportunity to seize to seize this and. Um, yeah, I mean, I think in one sense, maybe Joe Biden preferred not to have the majority um, because now this definitely pressurizes them to, to you know, um, to go through with some more left progressive um, legislation. Because I think oftentimes, especially with Obama, for example, like a lot of the excuses were that he never had a majority, you know. But even if he did have a majority for the first two years, I mean, still, I mean, for the majority of his presidency, he didn't have a majority. So... So yeah, now I mean, there's nowhere to hide, and um, yes, it's a good news for the Democrats. It should, well, it should be good news for the Democrats, and hopefully, hopefully, um, you know, this is the time to pass some legislation that can really, you know, uh, help people. So I think it's positive news, and so so it's positive news that like, um, you know, Republicans lose. So, <laughs> so that's good. Yeah, I agree. I think it was obviously really interesting what was happening in Georgia, but especially interesting with what it then led to and the events that we did all see last night. It's crazy. And I think what's really important to focus on initially is the hypocrisy and the double standards of the Trump administration and the right wing. And Trump tweeted anarchists, agitators or protesters who vandalise or damage federal courthouses will face a minimum of 10 years in prison. Other right wing commentators, I'm sure we're all familiar with those kind of Tommy Lauren tweets of if, if uh, Republicans were to lose, which they won't, they would carry on with their day to day lives. They would respect the result and they wouldn't be out on the streets protesting. And I think another quote from Trump, which really is hot on the lips of a lot of people today, is when the looting starts, the shooting starts, which marks just such a stark comparison to last night's message of go home, we love you, you're very special, I know how you feel. This really empathetic kind of message it was the least that he could do to tell people to remain peaceful to call off this rally that he has incited as samuel was saying not just in the past four years but has been kind of rumbling below the surface of america so i think just the double standards and the comparisons that one can draw to the black lives matter movements and protests over the summer period and the deaths, the arrests between the two, the amount of armed police and the presence of such in those protests was just absolutely colossal in comparison to what we saw last night. And I think that in itself really epitomizes white privilege, how far those people could get in. And these are some very vicious people. They're not your everyday kind of Trump supporters. They, a lot of them had come in from other states again through Trump inciting this to happen over a period of time and other right-wing commentators which I'm sure we'll get into and they were sporting some very vicious kind of propaganda we saw anti-Jewish sentiment we saw references to the Holocaust and to Auschwitz and we saw a lot of KKK kind of propaganda and things of these people. Again, it's also worth mentioning that very, very few were wearing masks in the middle of a pandemic. And it just, again, supports this narrative. And I think it really will be a stain, not only on Trump and his presidency, but on American democracy all world leaders just about of liberal democracies have come out and condemned the actions and as a consequence condemned Trump. We saw Emmanuel Macron give an incredibly impassioned speech, Boris Johnson, Theresa May, key political figures all coming out in, in response to this. Biden, I think personally, showed he was very presidential in his address, but again, what more can he say? Of course, that's that's something that should go without saying, but it almost makes a refreshing change after what we've seen for the past four years to have that kind of presidentialism. So I think certainly that double standard is worth 
outlining but I agree with you both what happened in Georgia as well has only has only kind of led to this I also just want to point out like another hypocrisy I guess of um so I, in the right I feel like the right wing likes to you know paint a picture of the classic left liberal as some snowflake who gets offended at like you know all these tiny little um tiny little things um you know like if someone doesn't use your pronoun for example then you get offended and like that's the worst thing in the world and all that kind of stuff but like you know when it comes to literally just basic you know democracy and things like that the uh the right has been extremely like reactionary um, with regards to these, this election election outcome and stuff like that. And it's shown how, you know, they can't really, uh, you know, handle a loss, for example, in an in a, in a election. And also g going more back to like some right-wing, like um, uh, just political uh, figures, I guess, and things like that. I got into a, um, a Twitter, uh, not argument, but, you know, I, re I replied to uh, Tim Pool's Twitter. <laughs> He was, um, yeah, a right-wing commentator, I would say. Uh, he calls himself a disaffected liberal, but everyone knows that's incorrect. Um, and yeah, like, you know, all these, all these like, right-wing commentators are like, wow, like, I mean, I can't believe this is happening. You know, this is crazy. And if you look back at all their, you know, all the things that they've published recently, it's all these, you know, conspiracy theories about lawsuits going through and, um, you know, we could potentially overturn the election, clickbaiting people, trying to build the sentiment of, oh my God, like something actually could be happening here, like we could actually overturn the election and feeding into this narrative of, oh, you know, casting doubt on the election, right? And so it's not like it's definitely Trump is definitely to blame, but also kind of the media apparatus surrounding U.S. politics, like right U.S. politics is to blame as well for entertaining these ideas of, um, you know, potentially overturning the election. And, you know, more than that as well, U.S. senators as well, by kind of objecting to the to, to the um, kind of the process uh, that was like occurring yesterday in terms of the like, confirmation of of um President, you know, Biden and uh, Kamala Harris is also to blame here. Like this, like in the Georgia runoff race, for example, there was a poll done that's, um, that said uh, it, it was only, it was 41% of uh, Georgians who were basically like polled said that they thought the, um, they, like 41% of Georgians thought the uh, presidential election was unfairly conducted, right? And that's a big number of people. And that doesn't just come from uh, Trump, that comes from other political commentators and media pushing this narrative of um, fraudulent elections, which was not true. It was never true in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, I, as you said, Benj, I think it's true that, um, yeah, like it's a bit hypocrisy from like these right wing, you know, new media folks like that. They've been peddling conspiracy theories this whole time and now they pretend to be shocked um, about this whole incident. But um. Yeah, I wanted to, this I think leads into a good, uh, like, you know, I want to, I want to like, just give my opinions on like, what are the causes, what has led up to this, you know, because I feel like this issue has been like 40, 50 years in the making. So, I mean, if you don't mind, I just want to go in a bit of a dialogue for a, a few minutes. It might be a bit lengthy, but yeah, then you can just ch chime in and, um, and give your opinions for it. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, obviously you can look at USA's history and it's found in, um, which is based on, you know, genocide and discrimination. But I wanted to look at the more around the historical context between the late 20th century. So from like the 1970s to our current moment. And I think this can offer an explanation as to why this has happened. And this is, it's all culminated into this big uh, mess, you know? So our first one is to start off with, you know, the economic alienation that has been going on for years, you know, I think for around 50, 40, 50 years, you know, since the implementation of, of, a, of the neoliberal economic agenda, especially which was like, you know, forced on by Ronald Reagan, I think this, yeah, as I said, it's created a, it's created economic alienation within America. It has stripped people from meaningful jobs that they feel connected to. Like, you know, you can see all the, you know, Trump talked about the outsourcing of jobs like and, and factories. And I think that plays a big role within the alienation because that was a stable, you know, stable work that paid well and gave people a, a good living, you know. Um, and now we had a scenario, I think, where 
it's increasingly jobs are increasingly becoming more scarce and more and there's been more insecure form of work like as you can see with the rise of the gig economy or you know um just um independent contractors for example and this is creates lack of lack of workers lack rights, of worker well. rights exactly and yeah i just it's become more like just a more uh, a, a working environment ripe for anxiety you know and i think along with this you know i think republicans and conservatism in general have laid the foundation that trump has eventually exploited like you know we see all these republican uh, senators like they all suddenly like in the last minute just like condemning what trump is doing but they've been laying this groundwork for years you know you say from the implementation of the drug war to more racist and classist undertones like the welfare queen or you know lazy lazy people around like lazy people thugs you know this is just laid it's more it's more discreet in how they how they say it but you know i think it's laid the undertones for discrimination and just hatred in general and you know i think and um trump has really you know exploited this uh foundation that a lot of these republicans have laid out to and I think the Democrats and the, especially the mainstream media have consistently failed even before Trump to, to call these dog whistles out for what they are. And I made out f for the Republicans to be good faith actors when they're anything, you know, anything but that, you know? And yeah, and I think this only increased when Obama came to power. And while I'm not the biggest fan of Obama, no doubt that there is a big racial backlash from his presidency and it'd be naive not to think so. So I think, so yeah, I think these all these different factors play a big role. And then social media, I think the the rise of social media has facilitated the spread of conspiracy theories and just fake news. And as I said, like all of this, you know, from the job alienation to racial dog whistles and um, you know, just undertones to the the rise of social media has made this ripe for Trump to to come in and just say the the, the quiet part out loud and and this has created a, a situation where, you know, you can question the validity of the elections and you can empower fascism. Um, and you, I mean, I mean, and he's failed in his failure to condemn uh, fascism and just let it grow. You know, um, you think about, you know, the Charlotte uh, protests a few years ago, you know, people were, uh, you know, they were announced, they were saying Jews will not replace us. And what did he say? He said both sides are, have bad people. You see, his failure to condemn fascism and the far right has just allowed it to spread and, and gain even more power. And yeah, I think U.S. is just, as I said before, it's, it's the it's um it's the most extreme version of what's a symptom of all Western liberal democracies right now. And yeah, I mean, one last thing, I just wanted to go through some statistics that David Sirota, who's a journalist who wrote in Jacobin magazine about you know the attitudes around the far right in America. So. Yeah, as you'll see on the screen, some of these uh, statistics. So um, I'll quote him. We have long known that the far right, and especially many Trump supporters, are hostile to democracy. Polling data from Monmouth University in 2019 found that one third of the strongest supporters of Trump scored in the highest ratings for authoritarian tendencies. In all, democracy fund data show that roughly one third of Americans say that an authoritarian alternative to democracy would be favorable. Um, that's what was on display this Wednesday. Um, while Trump has tried to blame violence on the left, his administration has been trying to downplay the threat of right-wing authoritarianism and white supremacy. In a whistleblower complaint, a, top, a former top Homeland Security official alleged that Trump officials ordered him to modify an agency report section on white supremacy in a manner that made the threat appear less severe. Political reported um, earlier this year that Homeland Security officials have waged a war, has waged a year-long internal struggle to get the, the White House to pay attention to the threat of um, violent domestic extremism. But they, they gave up because Trump wasn't interested. Instead, federal security forces were focused on deporting immigrants and investing in investigating environmental activists. Sorry, um, The Capitol Police have a 460 million dollar budget and 2,300 personnel to guard the U.S. Capitol complex. For, com for comparison, that is twice the size of the budget of my own city's police department, which is to secure an entire metropolis. Somehow, this army of Capitol security forces were unable or unwilling 
to stop insurrectionists from breaching the building and taking over the floor of the U.S. Senate. And it's not like they were caught by surprise. They had, they had advanced warning of the potential for unrest. So it's almost as if they weren't trying to stop the mayhem. Sorry, this is the last two points. Um, Washington Mayor Muriel Bowser um, requests to send a National Guard reinforcements to the Capitol was initially rejected by the Defense Department, the same department whose loyal leadership whose, lo whose leadership was recently purged and then replaced with Trump loyalists. That doesn't seem like a coincidence, considering Trump initially refused to call for the insurrectionists to disperse. Lastly, the insurrection clearly fed off months of misinformation by the Republican Party officials who continued to push the lie that the national election was plagued by fraud. Those lies spread. A survey last month found that three quarters of Republican voters believed the election was fraudulent. Even, even though nobody has produced evidence of systematic fraud, Republican lawmakers in Washington continued to fuel conspiracy theories, ultimately pressing Congress to overturn the national election. One photo caught Missouri Senator Josh Hawley raising a fist to the oncoming insurrectionists as he headed to the capital city to try halt the certification of the election. So sorry for that uh, long winded, but especially like I think the first two points, like just like the, you know, the indifference between for authoritarianism and feeling sympathy towards that is a real dangerous precedent, you know? So, um, yeah, what do you th what do you think of my diagnosis of the issues? I mean, I think is I think to say it's just for the last four years or the, the recent elections, I think is misleading and, and ahistorical. I think the like. I think neoliberalism and its implementation, like especially in the U.S. and stuff, definitely lays the groundwork for a lot of this, a lot of these issues. You know, as you said, alienation, for example, is one obvious one. Um, and yeah, just like in general, I, I just want to make a point about these these protesters, right? Like or rioters, I guess you you should call them. First of all, I think these people genuinely actually believed that they were that the election was being stolen. I think that was like a genuine concern of theirs. Um, because as you kind of discussed, you know, the, the, the U.S., you know, Republican um, reaction to, to the election calling it fraudulent, for example. I also, yeah, I mean, that's, that's just probably the first thing I want to say. And also I want to say that, you know, these people, they genuinely feel, uh, I, I would assume they genuinely feel like economic hurt, you know, uh, from not getting stimulus from the pandemic, for example, from being unemployed for, I don't know how many years because of all these jobs being shipped away and stuff like that. And Trump was politically smart to tap into this, um, this like resentment, right? Like, you know, this resentment of people who, who had their life structured, had it all together, then had it stripped away because of these um, politicians, which just had the same economic beliefs and didn't have any real revolutionary, not even revolutionary, or just, um, not centrist kind of uh, economic policy ideas and stuff like that, right? And so if you have like since the 80s, you know, these, you know, people consistently, you know, shipping away jobs, um, you know, having a lack of, you know, social apparatus to take care of you, for example, um, from both the Democratic and Republican side, then you're going to have resentment and that's just going to bubble up in the surface and you'll get a figure like Trump, which will tap into that and expose it for what it is. And even though he is just as bad in terms of economic policy as the rest of them, he he at least, you know, was able to take that populist message and use it to his advantage. And so I think, you know, I think at the root of it, a lot of it is, you know, economic discontent. And a lot of these other things, um, like coming to the surface are are more like short-term causes, like the Georgia being runoff uh, election. It's not like the cause of this, right? It's a long, it's, it's you know, one of the short-term causes of it. I think a big one is just a general, like the economic discontent, as well as the pandemic kind of um, restricting people's freedoms, as we say, um, and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, that's just, that's what I would say about it. Yeah, I would agree. I think it's certainly symptomatic of a very kind of diseased administration or certainly administrations over the past um, decades, really. I think it's true what you were saying about these people do feel incredibly economically, socially, politically disadvantaged. There is something to be said for 2016 and Trump kind of succeeding on this anti-establishment drain the swamp narrative, rightly or wrongly, it clearly connected with a lot of voters, a lot of voters that hadn't been voters for the past few decades because they were so disillusioned. So it's kind of no surprise that people 
are feeling passionately that they don't want to go back to this kind of status quo of politics, this establishment, which is really encapsulated by Biden. But then the acts that they've taken to prevent this are, well, inexcusable. I think it's interesting, Samuel, what you were saying with social media as well, and how that's kind of a big symptom of how things have progressed and been able to kind of really fester over the past few years. Trump has had his Twitter account deactivated for 12 hours and it will only be reconnected, I read, on the premise that he deletes some of his, I think it's three tweets, which Twitter's like community guidelines see as really kind of inciting violence and going against democracy and things. So for the President of the United States to be in this position, he's it's absolutely unbelievable but then also it's more unbelievable that he may not take those tweets down i he's standing by what he's saying about the election having been robbed from us when he released that message last night saying like we support you but go home now that didn't come before a whole diatribe of how it was still rigged and it was still fixed and that we're being cheated by the system he could have at least just left that till the end, but it still foreshadows anything that he should kind of say or is being made to say by senior aides of more of the message of peace so they don't completely damage US democracy. I think a lot of senior Republicans as well, it goes without saying, are now just incredibly worried about the reputation of the party. And I'm sure the future of the Republican Party is something we'll probably come back to time and time again now. There's there's a decisive split down the middle and huge a huge power vacuum that will be left by Trump and it will be interesting to see how this is filled and how they kind of try to act together against some of Biden's policies and things like that. Finally also, Mike Pence I think is worthy of mention in terms of he himself has been no less guilty of riling up this sentiment of an election that was robbed from us and this undemocratic nature of what happened so that the establishment can remove Trump. So I don't have that much sympathy for people saying that, oh, well, he came out and did the right thing last night because it was so, so late. He really did jump the ship just as it sunk. I think it makes little to no difference and him and Trump will retain some kind of relationship. But even these really sem um, senior, sorry, Republicans that are coming out and condemning this behaviour, it's not noteworthy, nor should it be. It should be their kind of fundamental democratic duty to do so. Also, just kind of bringing it back to the UK really quickly. I've seen a lot of right-wing commentators also drawing parallels between the events that we saw last night and a lot of the anti-Brexit protests and marches that we've seen in London over the past few years and cities around the UK for that matter. I think it's it's important to highlight how at no anti-Brexit protest or march were people in armed suits with bulletproof vests, with guns, with machetes, you know, in battle clothing, nor were they planned for months and months beforehand as some kind of civil war, as the Facebook groups that have been planning this march have been seen to do. Um, so I think that's that's just one thing that needed drawing attention to. There's a difference between a kind of democratic vote that someone disagrees with that then being protested, whether rightly or wrongly, and the events that we saw last night. Yeah, I also just real quick want to comment on, you know, so yeah, you guys are both right in speaking about these social media monopolies, right, um, being a big part in, in this behavior. And I would just also say, like, again, linking it back to the economic side, you know, having a lack of regulation on these kind of big tech companies is what it allows them to, you know, wield so much power, right? And so you see Trump have all this rhetoric surrounding breaking up big tech, right? Um, but yeah, like it, it never, like it hasn't happened at the end of the day. But I'm just saying, like again, it links to that same point of like um, the economy and how it functions. Um, so yeah, I just thought it was worth pointing that out. And to build, uh, I'll go to you in a second, Sab. But just to build on this point of um, the Republicans and you know their lack of lack of response or like you know they're, they're jump them jumping ship at the last moment. It's just really like and and kind of the future of the Republican Party, right? Because 
the Republican Party right now is in a mess, right? It's split in terms of Trump loyalists and people who were Trump loyalists but realized, look, I'm going to have no political future in Washington once we get past this episode, and therefore I need to kind of abandon what I've just created, right? And Mike Pence, like, Mike Pence obviously is in one of the worst of both worlds, right? He's he's enabled Trump throughout this whole process, but he also is someone who's interested in running in 2024 as a presidential candidate. But he's, in, and this attempt of him, him trying to like, put this image of him being democratic and I respect principles and all this kind of stuff is literally his just his play to try redeem himself so he's you know eligible um to run in 2024 because if it was politically smart for him to support Trump throughout this process and um with regards to like election you know uh, in the next election sorry sorry getting elected in the next election then he would have gone with Trump this whole way. Like Mike Pence only cares about potentially becoming president and it's only because it's not beneficial to him that he actually came out against this. I'm 100% sure of this. This guy has supported Trump when it's benefited him the most. And now that it doesn't benefit him, he's just, uh, he's jumping ship and it's spineless and just disgusting. Like actually disgusting to have have this um, happen in the US. And you know, yeah, just, I don't know, just really infuriating. Yeah, I mean, on a, like yeah, as you just mentioned, I mean, I have no sympathy whatsoever for any Republican. You know, they just for I mean, not only have they been opportunists now, just jumping ship with Trump, but as I said before, they've been they've been they've been riling up the base and they've been laying the the, the foundation for Trump to exploit. You know, they've been playing on people's misery, um, using you know they just, they blame people's misery on, you know, xenophobic. Uh, tendencies or on immigrants or on people of color like they've been they've been they've been riling up the base and um and they just allowed a trump to allow trump to exploit this you know and as i said i'm just tired of I was, i'm tired of the democrats and the the media just like not seeing them for what they are just because they're saying it stuff in a polite manner doesn't mean they're not saying the same thing as trump so i think people have to if they start understanding the threat that a lot of republicans you know they bring and it's, they're not so much different to Trump, you know? So I just think, yeah, it just, it, it, it does make me angry. This it's like this complete disregard for, for the, uh, like the rhetoric around re what Republicans say. So yeah, I think, yes. Yeah. It's frustrating. And going back to what you said about, um, the social media, like you're right. I think it, you are right in what you're saying about the tech, but I also, I also say like, I think like, you know, the, the 2008 financial crash, and the rise of social media kind of happened at the exact same time. And I think, yeah, as I mentioned, and you guys mentioned before, it kind of helped create the perfect storm for like the, the, the for spreading fake news and false information. And yeah, I mean, I don't want to be a, like a, like overemphasized technology because, you know, these far right tendencies have risen historically without the internet, you know, but yeah, it definitely does make it, the process easier, you know? So, um, so yeah, I just think, yeah, I just, yeah, it's just a mess. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, lastly, I think going back to what Rachel said about, um, you know, talking about these protesters, how, um, how they, they kind of don't want the status quo to come, to come, to come back, you know, in Joe Biden. I do think, I mean, I can see that line, like in 2016, when he got first elected, you know, because he's an unknown, but you know, after four years of him in power, I just don't know how they can consider him still being a status quo per, like member, you know, like, I mean, still like still being like outside of the status quo, sorry. Um, because he's done nothing that's so different to Republicans, you know, he's, he's um, supported tax cuts. He hasn't stopped any wars. He's increased. He had the biggest tax cuts in like exactly. years. He gave the biggest, I he's mean, a, he's, it's un he's unbelievable. He's increased drone strikes when he said he was going to stop the war. He hasn't stopped outsourcing of jobs. He's been like the same as every other status quo um, politician for the last four years. So I don't get, I think it's just, at this point, I think it's just brainwashing. Like it's, it's like a brainwashing to think that he's, he's done anything so different, you know? It's either that or him being so brash about his, his thoughts on immigration, on, you know, different social movements have allowed people to gain some form of connection to him for their hatred with, this stuff as well. I mean, cause he hasn't done anything like significant 
legislatively, you know, to um, to be to be considered as someone that's an outsider because he's not anymore, you know. And yeah, we have to try like break this myth that he is because it's not true. Yeah, I agree. I think in terms of what you were saying about brainwashing as well, I was listening to America Cast with kind of Laura Kunzberg, John Sobel, among other commentators. And they were remarking on how he has created this kind of cult of personality post-truth era where he's dictating his own facts and his followers are believing them and this kind of narrative that he's constructed entirely himself and based facts entirely on his own opinions kind of denied very very obvious stats and facts and labelled it as fake news it's certainly symptomatic, again, of the kind of media outlets and things which people were so disillusioned with. And he's he's certainly picked up on that niche. But I don't see a time when the supporters and the people that stormed Capitol building last night will turn around and say, yes, actually, you know, I understand the election was lost and Trump kind of, this was just because of Trump's failings as a president. People voted for Biden instead because it's so toxic, but also so, so effective, this kind of post-truth era that he's that he's really been able to capitalize on. And I think he certainly won't be the last uh, populist leader to do so, but it, it doesn't bode well for even just kind of media and journalism. But having said that, on a slightly lighter note, as much as some of his supporters are getting all of their news coverage of the events that are going on purely through his Twitter feed and other kind of right-wing commentators, CNN, The New York Times, and a lot of other kind of multinational corporations and American newspapers and media outlets have actually seen their subscriptions increase. So while there is a separation between those who are kind of very committed to this post-truth fake news era, on the other side there are certainly people still looking for facts and kind of wanting more of an independent, if it's another argument whether those institutions are completely independent, but more of an unbiased, factual at the very least kind of um, viewpoint, which which is good certainly, any kind of like increase in readership is a positive. I will also say, yeah, I mean, that's definitely is a positive. Um, and again, subscribe or independent media. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, like uh, there is like, also something which is quite funny with this whole, you know, Trump supporter um, and, as you said, kind of post-truth, like, narratives, all that kind of stuff. It's like, at, at least on the YouTube space, I would say, you know, you have all these um, right-wingers being like, man, these postmodern leftists, all that kind of stuff, like, putting all these buzzwords together. But if you look at, like, actually what's happening, man, it feels like, um, the, like Trump supporters are the actual, like, you know, genuine postmodernists in this whole fiasco, man. They're living in their own, like, literal own reality. Um, and yeah, it, it's, it, yeah, really just unreal. Um, but I will say, I think we should, I mean, if it's okay with you guys, look at kind of going forward now, what can the Biden presidency try do to counteract this tendency of, you know, um, yeah, just like, fra like, you know, just not living in reality, right? Like, how can, how can he, you know, tap into this this um area of um disillusioned voters and use it to his advantage uh, and you know as we probably have, as we've said already you know the the georgia uh, senate races are key in, in at least having like an apparatus for him to do that uh, whether he will or will not it's a different story but at least from my perspective joe biden i think to really you know try try kind of root this out and like get things a bit more to normality um, and just get more support from uh, people in the U.S. more generally, is to really have a bold uh, economic uh, plan to come out of coronavirus. Well, first of all, handle coronavirus. I mean, that's the first thing, right? He has to handle coronavirus and contain it. And as long as I'll take, get, you know, the U.S. out of that mess. And then he can focus on rebuilding uh, America's economy. And I think in doing so, he has to have a really bold plan in terms of job creation and also just caring about different um, issues like climate change, like healthcare, and offering legislation which is 
supported by people in America, like Medicare for all, supported by over 70% of the U.S. Um, the Green New Deal as well, also a really popular um, line of legislation amongst uh, people in the U.S. So I, I think I think it's what he has to focus on uh, to try to give people some literally like just some material benefit of him of voting him in. Right. You know, it doesn't matter if um, Trump's a president if Bi and Biden's a president, if you can't, you know, afford food at the end of the month. Right. So we need it. That's what you need to try. Um, in my view, uh, what that's what he has to try to do to try, you know, really get things to normalcy. And uh, yeah. What are you guys thoughts? Yeah. Um yeah, as you said, I think the big thing for Biden and Biden's part is definitely to try push legislation that um, appeals to the people's material needs. Um, and, you know, the, yeah, real things like you said, healthcare, for example, or secure jobs, you know, job security, etc. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, I think there will be there, there are ones that are too far gone, like no matter how many people like how many no matter how much legislation you push to to improve lives, there will still people. There'll be still be people that won't be convinced, you know, and they'll still be attached to Trump and his personality and his wild, his wild beliefs, you know. But I definitely think you can appeal to a large amount of people if you actually materially change their lives, you know. Um, so yeah, I mean, I know in the 1920s when the Great Depression, there was, you know, there was quite a big, um, like, there's a quite a big, uh, like, appeal towards fascism, and there was quite a big. Um, Although minority, there was there was a risk of you know like having been fascism being a problem within American society. But you know, um, the Green New like the new sorry the New Deal um, kind of helped put the, a lot of this stuff to bed because it ultimately you know improved people's lives you know in many different ways. So it kind of um, helped address these extremist thoughts. So I definitely think Joe Biden can do stuff like that. But also, I mean, I also wanted to look at um. Besides, um, besides Biden, what are they going to do now about this whole fiasco yesterday with the insurgency and the attempt, like, of, as you said, a diet coup? Like, what can we do to, 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 to address that? You know, because um, I think we see now, like, as soon as they they start, they restarted the confirmation. There was a consolidation between Republicans and Democrats, um, both, um, you know both, uh, you know, calling out these protests as for what they are, you know. But I think, well, I mean, it's obviously good that there's, they united on this issue that, you know, trying to do a coup is a bad thing. I think Republicans, I mean, Democrats, they really have to learn the lesson and be more skeptical and critical towards Republicans and their motives, you know. Because if we keep letting them get away with this, and as I said, being thinking they're good faith actors, you're going to come up with a situation again, you know. So we need to, you need to, obviously it's good to be unified in this moment, but they need to be critical and make sure that they don't get, let people get away with this, you know? And also I know Cory, Congressman Cory Bush um, has already said she'll be introducing a resolution calling for the Republican re members who, um, of Congress who, who uh, kind of invoked this riot and kind of promoted it to be um, expelled. So I think... I think that's a reasonable call because, you know, call for violence and an anti-democratic, um, you know, anti-democratic demonstration is dangerous. And I think she's right to, to bring that resolution. And I think it's a good step. But I think also, um, I mean, also there's also been like rumors about, you know, invoking the, the 25th Amendment, which essentially allows the vice president together with the majority of either the principal officers of the of the executive departments or the bodies of Congress to, you know, to declare the president unable to discharge the powers and duties of their office in a written declaration. So this can kind of provide a path to, you know, kind of to kick out Donald Trump. I don't, I don't think that's, I don't know if that's necessary right now, but that's also, I've, there's also reports about that being considered um, within the Congress. And yeah, and then also going into the bigger picture, I think it's also a good time to think about you know, certain things like the electoral college and, you know, rethinking about democracy in the country in general, because, I mean, I think many people agree that that whole system is kind of flawed, you know? So I think it's also an opportunity to step back and rethink that. But that's, I think that's a much bigger picture. But I think Cory Bush is offering a good solution right now to at least hold these Congress people accountable for their incitement, you know? And along, along, sorry, along 
it's alongside that i think from the left perspective i think there needs to be more grassroots and community organizing to make people conscious about their current economic um, structures and the effect that it's having on their lives so they don't have to turn to more xenophobic and racist um, excuses to why things are like the way they are that's just you know building unions for people in order you know to like combat you know use solidarity to combat more nationalistic and fascistic answers to the problems we face so i think these are some aspects that biden can can um take and also in general as a you know as a society so yeah hopefully hopefully the democrats will be more bold more bold in this um in this situation yeah yeah i agree i don't have too much to add myself i think biden certainly needs to focus on as you were saying kind of provide people that voted for him just with some kind of palpable material benefits for doing so especially with covid he's obviously got a huge amount on his plate there with the death toll the kind of beginning of vaccinations lockdowns and the economic damage that we'll see for generations through that so that has to be his primary priority under obama as well he was kind of very very international in his outlook that needs to be reined in and it is a domestic policy approach which has to take precedence um again just relating back to covid and also just the kind of social discontent that we've seen in america uh, uh, encapsulated by last night's events but the summer protests of black lives matter and again this just been a symptom of kind of years and years of a very diseased system and a very very separated and disjointed one so i think they should be his top priorities that kind of domestic agenda and i'm sure that they will be along with harris and other senators um but yeah i don't i don't personally have too much to add there i think just hopefully looking looking to the future with biden and i mean the one thing is it it can't be worse per se than than that of the past four years so that can be a little like hope in it yeah the yeah i definitely think it can be oh sorry no, go i'm saying yeah i don't think it'll be w worse but i am worried that if not sufficient action is taken that someone that's worse than trump might pop up in the next election or in a few years you know so so yeah, I think, I mean, I've, I don't think it'll get worse, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully action will be taken to, to kind of like, you know, weaken this element of America. This is this part of America. So yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I also want to say, I don't think that, um, again, like more in that looking forward kind of uh, section now, I don't think that Trump will be, get prosecuted or go to jail for any of the... Um, any of the things which he's done during his presidency or even before with regards to tax um, dodging or whatever it may be, just simply because um, presidents in general don't really, you know, that doesn't really happen, right? So, uh, I mean, Obama wasn't um, prosecuted for anything, um, even though he definitely has done illegal things in the past. And neither, neither is, neither, I, I, yeah, I mean, it just doesn't really happen. So uh, for anyone who thinks that that's maybe a possibility, I would definitely uh, urge you to maybe look a little bit more in terms of like, um, the history of some of these presidencies and what's happened you know after they've ended their terms um so yeah that's one kind of side note and another point which i want to kind of discuss is this uh idea of trump running in 2024 uh what do you guys uh, think about that do you think it's a viable kind of uh uh thing to happen or do you think after 2024 he's done because from at least from my view it's like he he loves the tension. He loves the rallies. He loves all these things, right? And then, like, it, it's like what basically like gets him going, right? Like he loves it. So I could see him, like, you know, that happening, like him hosting rallies and stuff like that throughout the next four years in order to try build up, um, you know, enough base uh, support to again run in 2024 and become, you know, win the election. I mean, personally, I'd say I'm a bit more sceptical. I think that if there's one thing he values above anything else, it's his ego. And his ego definitely has to have been damaged by the electoral defeat and by close aides, senior Republicans kind of turning their back on him at this moment where he probably feels like he needs it the most. I think also he's 
well, just from kind of reading White House staffers and things, he's exhausted as anyone would be after a kind of four year term, whether you can say he's actually done as much as most presidents have in terms of the day to day running of things and the, the job on paper is another thing. But I, I agree, he certainly loves the attention and the rallies and everything, but I'm not sure if he will personally. I'm I'm more skeptical. I think he may be a kind of high profile donor and introduce candidates and things and have rallies on their behalf, but I'm not too sure if the real nitty gritty will be for him in, in another four years time. Yeah. I just want to add quick. I think he might launch a launch a news network. I could yeah, definitely that was, see that happening. Some reports about that, right? That he, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm also in two minds about this because, as you said, Benj, it's like he's um yeah, he does love the limelight and the attention and the admiration. Uh, and also, I mean, one could say maybe maybe he's like you know he's insistent on election fraud. Maybe we could say it's e it's either like him being a big baby and not accepting reality, or it could be some way to keep his his base riled up so when he when he runs for um for the next election but i do think i think it depends on how people perceive him in the next few years you know i think if you if there's energy still there um within his base and he's still admired by a decent amount of people within america maybe he will consider it in 2024 um but yeah i mean and as Rachel said, I think he is exhausted. And I think, you know, ultimately, maybe he wants to stick to doing business, you know, and, and, you know, as you said, maybe making a news network. So, um, yeah, I'm not entirely sure what will happen, you know, I mean, I hope he doesn't, but maybe he's lining someone up within his family or someone close to him to, 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 to take over in 2024. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we will definitely see about that. Um, yeah, so do you guys have anything else to add, really? Or no, not much. Not much. At, least, at least Biden now is confirmed. Um, so that's good. Despite all the protests, he's confirmed. But yeah, just a, just a, a dark day uh, yesterday in America. And hopefully, like, hopefully people start to think about the root causes of these issues, you know, and try to address it. Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, thank you guys all for listening. And I'm sure uh, we'll be back on the weekend to uh, go a little bit more in depth into different news stories as we were planning on doing today. But um, yeah, I had to cover it. Uh, so anyway, guys, thank you for uh, watching. And thank you, Samuel, Rachel, for uh, being great co-hosts today. And um, we'll see you guys all very soon. Thank you. Thank you.